On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we'll be joined by my friend, my former ESPN colleague, and the author of a new book, Brainwashed, The Bad Science Behind CTE and the Plot to Destroy Football, a groundbreaking look at why Merrill Hodge does not believe that football causes CTE. And we'll go around the league and look at some of the best young quarterbacks in the league, some of the teams that are poised to advance in the postseason, and why it was a weekend of fantasy heartbreak for me. And now, my friend, my colleague, my fantasy therapist, Field Yates. All right, Field. So one of the reasons that I wanted to get you on the podcast this week is I want you to be my fantasy therapist. I'm here for you, but I may need you to be my therapist too. Okay. Going into this weekend, I had two fantasy football teams reach the semifinals. One was in the ESPN War Room League. Yeah, the, the best team by far this season. 16-team league. I was 13-1, and one, including the opening round of the playoffs, where I won 180-95 to 95 in the opening round. Unbelievable. I think I averaged over 140 points per week. And I had bad matchups this week. And the team I was playing, Auto Draft, owned by Sarah Walsh of Fox and Jeff Wheatley, producer here, had great matchups. And my team came up as small as it could come up all season long. Andrew Luck, nothing against Dallas. Didn't throw a touchdown pass. Marlon Mack ran him all in. My kicker, Aldrich Rosas, zero. Tyler Boyd, hurt. Julian Edelman, dropped passes. Tariq Cohn. Devontae Adams was good, but didn't catch any touchdowns. George Kittle was good, but not George Kittle. And I played the Vikings defense over the Titans defense. Both good, but the Vikings not quite as good. I got smoked. Season over. It ends abruptly. And it's like the NFL. My other league, also in the semis, 12-team league, with a bunch of my neighbors and financial friends in New York. Man, I am still bitter about this. Okay? I'm ready for this one. Going into the Sunday night game, I was down 27.4 points. Okay. Who'd you have left? I had Jerry Goff and Greg Zerline left. And, and I made the decision earlier in the day to go in my flex spot with Kenneth Dixon over Josh Reynolds okay. when Ty Montgomery was inactive. I had yep. Josh Reynolds in that spot. The game gets off last night, and I'm down, 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 down. And all of a sudden, Jared Goff and the Rams start coming back at the end, and he throws a touchdown pass to Josh Reynolds that gets overruled that says he's down at the half-yard line. The half-yard line. So I'm thinking, well, Jared Goff will run it in here. But Jared Goff hands it off to Todd Gurley. I lose my fantasy matchup by 2.8 points. 2.8. And so I'm knocked out of the War Room League where I went 13-1, and and I'm knocked out of my other league where I was the number two seed with a bye. Fantasy season over in one afternoon, one night, one blown out, one I'm, I'm one I couldn't sleep last night. That bad? Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to find a way to make you feel not that bad about things. And the only thing that I can come up with, Shefty, is this. is First of all, you're not alone, right? Because this was a cross the board, a really poor fantasy week. For superstar players. You named a bunch of them. But Saquon Barkley goes over under 10 points for the first time all season in PPR scoring. Adam Thielen, who had eight straight games of 100 or more receiving yards to begin the season, had just 19 yards on two catches yesterday against the Miami Dolphins. In a matchup that doesn't scare you, Xavier Howard's the best player on the Dolphins roster, and he's out of that game. And he has 19 yards, says Adam Thielen. 
throughout the week, and I'm sure it's the same way that you probably get questions from friends and family members and people that follow you on Twitter or what have you, Shefty, about fantasy decisions during the week. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's funny. They really pick up an in intensity in the playoffs. And they sure do. And they pick up intensity and they pick up in terms of importance as well. Yeah. Because you, you, you don't – I have nothing to gain or lose if I tell someone – who to play in the playoffs. I don't like to do it. I don't like to do it. But you feel like you do because you may know that this person— I try to give them the information and let them make the decision. That being said, every one of the decisions that you make, you think to yourself, like, do I cross-check that at the end of the week and see whether I was right right or wrong? And during the playoffs, I find myself doing that. I can't tell you how many decisions there were that last night I'm going through my phone and checking Twitter DMs or text messages and thinking to myself, I probably really let that person down. The problem was this. There were decisions that I made that on the surface looked like bad decisions for that person, but the other option they had was just as bad. So it just was a bad week across the board. So a lot of people may have trusted their own process, and the results may have burned them. But this was as bad of a week as I can remember in a high-stakes fantasy weekend in at least my time covering fantasy here at ESPN, which is, what, four or five years in. I mean, it was just a complete and utter collective no-show from names that we've been counting on. I'm telling you, didn't sleep in a total funk. I feel like the world is dark and gray. I'm not happy. So you're a, you're a golf player. You're, you're a golfer, right? A little bit. Eh, not little not bit. not an avid golfer, but a golfer, right? I, I, I'll golf three, four times a year. You're at least mindful enough of the idea that golfers who play avidly continue to struggle despite the fact that they play avidly, and they continue to come back because they are convinced the next time they play, they're going to be able to you know, drive the green or make the 30-foot punt or get up and down, whatever it is. In fantasy football, as dark as you're feeling right now about these two leagues that you probably could have or should have won, by January 3rd, like let's say that there is a, a draft prospect that declares. I don't know. You're going to be thinking to yourself, like, what is this guy... What's the value for him going into drafts this upcoming year? Or like when a team drafts uh, Justin Herbert or or, or or Dwayne Haskins if they declare for the draft. You're thinking to yourself, like, is he worth the roll of the dice in fantasy? It's addicting. I'm telling you right now. It's addicting. This morning, I said to myself, I don't know if I can do this to myself anymore. So, like, what, Why I, am I doing it? It means nothing. It means nothing and it means everything. However... Here's what, can we agree on this part at least yeah. though? Is that a huge part of our job yeah. as, you know, I'm not talking about my fantasy job, but like the reporter insider yeah. side is still tied directly or indirectly 100%, into fantasy. So 100%. The, the exposure you have to these leagues, even those in yeah. disappointment, help you contextualize what's going on around the league. You do the uh, fantasy long shot every Sunday on, yep. it's a crossover between Sunday NFL countdown and fantasy football now. You more to Matthew Barry. And, each week you're picking a player that, like, yeah, it's a player that probably could go for three fantasy points and nobody would bat an eyelash, but it's because you've spent the week during your research and during your reporting and calls with teams and, and executives and maybe agents and players gathering some intel. Hey, maybe you knew who Robert Foster was six weeks ago where the rest of, of, of the NFL fandom had no idea who Robert Foster was. So I think that there, as much as today stings and hurts, the the benefit of playing fantasy and doing so borderline religiously is like I think it actually does make you better as no, a reporter. No, 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 no. Listen, it absolutely does make you better as a I'm reporter. Your and, you're, I'm trying you're, to get you out of this. Hole. I know. I'm just telling you, it's holiday week. Got my birthday coming up. I know. And there is nothing right now that is bringing you me any joy. I swear to you, I'm, I'm, I'm Michigan not, basketball's good. No, right? I know. No, yeah, it is. It's great. It's it's it's. Uh, 
Uh, again, I'm just favorite restaurant. You have a favorite restaurant? Yeah. Like it back home here. I know. I know your favorite restaurant close to to ESPN is one of the local barbecue joints, right? Yeah, I like that place, Mission Barbecue. Have you been there over the past twenty four no. hours? Like, do I need it, to go it, get you a, no, a tray of something? No, no. It, I don't think Mission Barbecue. Honestly, it's one of these things. And I, I, what I've done is, I've tried to use it like this. I've tried to say, let this be a reminder for how the coaches and front office personnel feel yeah. when they lose a playoff game. Yeah, it really is. That that's because I, I'm telling you when I say this, they can't feel any worse than I do. As strange as that sounds. And in fact, I think they're more well-practiced at breaking out of the funk in an easier way. So I think the best thing that this does, not only does your reporting during the year when you play fantasy allow you to focus in and have be more in touch with the players, but this shows you how much agony there is involved. Yeah. When somebody loses, I really mean that. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because I'm sure people ask you all the time, "Do you, who who's your favorite NFL team? Who do you my root favorite, for?" My fantasy right? team is my favorite, always. And, and so that's a, an answer that a, a refrain that I deliver similarly. Now, I would be the first to tell you that, like, there are people that I I used to work in the NFL, have some really a lot of relationships with people that I worked with, and certainly you develop relationships when you cover people. So, when people that I worked with specifically do well, I'm happy for them, right? Because not only is it that they get to experience the thrills of winning, but as you know better than anybody else in the NFL, turnover at the coaching yep. and executive ranks is rapid. You know, the more these teams win, the more these people keep their jobs, and that means good things for their families, for their well-being, et cetera. But this is what it's like to, like, this would be like what it's like if you were to follow a team. Like, if you were to have your high hopes, maybe you're a Packers fan waking up this morning and saying, like, we're eliminated. Like, I know we had a long shot to get in, but we have Aaron Rodgers. We always have a shot. And here you are this morning waking up with no shot. I remember when I covered the Denver Broncos back in 1996, and they were the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah. And they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the first round. And I was very disappointed because I wanted to cover a team that went to the Super Bowl in the worst way. At that point in my life, I was 30 years old. And to me, there was nothing that I wanted to do more than to cover a team that went all the way to the Super Bowl. I thought it would have been an unbelievable experience. And they lost, and I was like sick. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I felt like I lost a professional opportunity. Right. And so I'm just telling you that this is as low as that was back well, the good, in the day. So, so we'll use that as a source of inspiration then. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm really channeling this, this yeah. therapist thing is so Thank that you. was followed up by back to back Super Bowl wins by yeah. the Broncos, right? Yeah, yeah. So my early forecast for the 2019 uh, War Room I, League. No, but that league is so hard and it's so hard to get there. That's the problem. 16 teams. You don't get there. Well, so thirteen and one record points. Would like, it make that's you feel not better to again. rehash how my draft went in the war room league? <laughs> yeah. Well, so the second straight year out of a random selection, I get the sixteenth pick in that draft. Now, last year we turned it into an excellent start because it was Todd Gurley and Amari Cooper, and Gurley was the fantasy MVP yeah. last year, who we got to pick sixteen. This year we started off with Rob Gronkowski and Dalvin Cook. I'm thinking to myself yesterday, like my draft. Looked fine during the 1 p.m. slate of games yesterday. Yeah. Dalvin Cook went off. We had a couple of other productive players who played pretty well for us. But it was a reminder of just how bad my team was this year. Mm. So would you rather be where I was, looking up in the standings for most of the year, one of the four worst teams in the league, or where you were, which was looking down on the rest of us all year and then losing in the semifinals? I don't know, but it's just so sudden and so <laughs> abrupt. All right, we'll be back with my friend and colleague, Field Yates, in a moment to talk about the best young quarterbacks in the game and which one he would pick if he were starting his own franchise today. But first, 
I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. I love that Dollar Shave Club has everything I need to look, feel, and smell my best. What I love even more is the fact that I never have to go to a store. That's because, one, DSC delivers everything I need right to my door, and two, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I don't run out. Here's how it works. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready no matter what you're getting ready for. They have you covered head to toe, hair, skin, face, you name it, they have it. And they have this new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on the products you use. You determine what you want and when you want it, and it shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. That's what I do for DSC's toothpaste. It gets sent to me every couple of months and leaves my mouth feeling clean, breath smelling fresh. Plus, with their handsome discount, the more you buy, the more you save. And right now, they've got a bunch of starter sets you can try for just $5, like their oral care kit. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at regular price. So what are you waiting for? Get your starter set for just $5 right now at dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. Okay, so let's look ahead. Let's get past my fancy heartbreak, and it was and still is sickening. As we look ahead yep. to 2019, there are a whole slew of young quarterbacks in the league. You have worked for teams, NFL teams, actual NFL teams. If you were starting your franchise today, which of these young quarterbacks would you want to start your team with? You know, I was thinking about this as I was watching this Rams-Eagles game on Sunday night and Jared Goff struggling for second or third straight game. Carson Wentz on the shelf with another injury, major injury, I'd say. As our friend Mark Schlereth always says, you never met somebody who used to have a bad back, right? Once you have a bad back, you have maybe a bad back. perpetually back. And it brings you back to, like, I'm not sure it's close. It has to be Patrick Mahomes. Because I'm watching what Patrick Mahomes is doing in Kansas City. And we are now, the standard is so ridiculous that people are looking at Thursday night's game as disappointing from Patrick Mahomes when he throws for two touchdowns, throws for 243 passing yards, and what he does each week, the amount of spectacular that he brings each week is remarkable. He has unbelievable accuracy. He has an ability to extend plays in a way that I don't know that any quarterback in the NFL that I've ever seen can do so, Shefty. Like, he's not as electric athletically is someone like Michael Vick who could run 50 yards in a single play to break the pocket and eventually fire a throw. Yep. But Patrick Mahomes' ability to keep a play alive as a thrower, to move backwards in the pocket to the point of like almost irresponsible depth yeah. and then dig his way out of it is unparalleled. Okay, so let me say this. I think everybody would agree that Patrick Mahomes is the most transcendent young talent in the game today. Yep. And if you were starting a franchise, that would be the one guy that you'd want to take because of the importance of the position and because of the uniqueness of his skills. So let's say Patrick Mahomes went to Field Yates with the number one overall pick yep. in a quarterback draft. Which young quarterback is going number two in that draft? So let me ask this. Are we talking about a 10-year window? Because if so, yeah, I have a 10-year window. 10-year window. I have a name that I don't know that people view him as a young quarterback anymore, and maybe he's too old to qualify for what you were thinking. But I tell you the quarterback who draws them, probably one of, you know, some of the most unsolicited praise. You guys forget about this guy, how good he is, Andrew Luck. And I know that sounds like maybe he's an old hat in this league you relative know, you know to funny? other guys. You know what's funny? I'm making a list of the quarterbacks as I'm preparing to ask you that question. Was he on that list? And Andrew Luck is not on that list because Interesting. it was just an oversight in my mind. When you say it, you're right. That would probably be 
the number the for number the next two names, ten years, if that's what we're talking about. Maybe not. How, how old is Andrew Luck right now? Twenty. So he was a twenty twelve draft. So that makes him. So he was probably twenty two or twenty three when he gets drafted. So he's got to be somewhere in the 29 range. And we're seeing quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Drew Brees. You know, to lesser degrees, we're, I mean, Eli Manning is still playing, but mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, these guys are playing well into their mid to late thirties. That makes me think that Andrew Luck over the next 10 years would be that guy. And if I had to pick a team to kind of like, you know, the NFL that would be my team to dominate the league for the next 10 years, the Colts might be my pick, by the way, Adam Schefter. He's 29. 29 years 29. old. So I still, I still would put Andrew Luck number two on that list. So if I were to maybe get, you know, number three on that list, which I think, you know, to see if my, Number three pick might align with your number two pick. And I know that people like, so there are, so there's some, there's some great candidates, right? Whether it's Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz. That on might my be, list, on my list. Carson Wentz that might be, I think what I have to look back towards is, you know, durability is something that, um, coaches will tell, like coaches, I think coaches value durability and availability more than maybe we even appreciate at the NFL level. So, uh, as maybe as fans, right? On ability only, my answer is Carson Wentz. But with the fact that he is now dealing with a back issue, that right there gives me enough pause that I could be talked into, I think, Deshaun Watson. Or maybe, and this is probably putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but Baker Mayfield's at least in the conversation. right? So I think I would choose between Watson and Goff. Baker sort of there on the periphery. And I'm sure, I'm sure I'm, I'm overlooking one player, by the way. Names no, are coming to mind. No, the names that I'd written down, I just. Jimmy Garoppolo would be another good answer. Yeah, I wrote down Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, Dak Prescott. Sure. Yeah. Carson Wentz, Trubisky. Yep. Goff, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold. I'm going to put down all these names and they're all compelling. And the one name that I want to touch on there is Baker Mayfield because yeah. when we look at all that you mentioned this flurry of activity that we're going to have with coaching openings. And people losing their jobs. I do believe that of all the jobs that are going to come open, that the Cleveland Browns might be the most attractive of any of them because of the quarterback that they have in place. I will agree with you on that. And before the draft, and actually the night of the draft, or day of the draft, when that was about the time when it became not clear, but at least likely that Baker Mayfield was going to be the Browns pick. I can't remember a draft that we had that much um, intrigue. Right. I'll tell you a funny story about that when we're done, but go ahead. But um, there are people that were saying to me, you know, I was getting texts from people around the league, like, are the Browns really going to do this? Yes. And my, my response was, I think they really are going to do it. Are you asking me that because you disagree? And they said, you know, it would, that wouldn't be my pick. And a lot of those same people have doubled back to say, you know something? This kid's got something special to him. And... The accuracy is terrific for Baker Mayfield. If you watch a game, you see some of the throws that he makes uh, on schedule, off schedule, down the field, in the short passing game. But then you also see all the other stuff that really matters uh. in quarterback play. And I think there's something to be said for demeanor for quarterbacks. You have to be a player that the other 52 guys, not just the 10 guys in your huddle, but the other 52 guys are going to look towards. And Baker Mayfield's already commanding it. He's commanding the respect. Like, I don't know that there is a more respected offensive player in that huddle. I don't know for sure. But I would certainly think that he's right up the top, near the top of most respected players in that Browns huddle. He's got it. So, on Tuesday, April 24th, yep, I am driving to the airport in New York City, okay, to LaGuardia Airport, and I remember speaking to a GM that morning. And we're going over the whole draft, and the guy says, hey, uh, you know, the Cleveland Cleveland's going to take Baker Mayfield here. I said, no. you, you think that or know that? He goes, uh, I'm just telling you 
I think it's real. I go, really? And he said, yeah. This guy's a smart guy. So we're talking. I said, would you be offended if I reported that, you know, the, that he's in discussions? So I made some more calls, checked around with a few other people. I filed a story to ESPN the morning of Tuesday, April 24th that said, Baker Mayfield is square in the conversation uh, to become the number one overall pick, and it cannot be ruled out as a possibility that he will be the number one overall pick. That was the story. Yep. So I follow that. And as soon as I follow it, they, they, the news desk calls, hey, can you get on SportsCenter, can you come on, get up, can you basically talk to them about this? I said, sure. So I'm boarding my airplane at uh, whatever time it was, and at 9.57 a.m., text from my father, who lives in Florida, rolls in and says, someone here said you tweeted Mayfield to the Browns. Is that correct? And I'm looking at it right now. And I said, here's what I reported, Papa. <laughs> Baker Mayfield, quote-unquote, this is the story, definitely is a part of the Browns' considerations with the number one pick, and the former Oklahoma quarterback cannot be ruled out as a possibility for the top pick Thursday night. Source said the Browns may have already decided whom they would select, but before that final decision, whenever it was made, Mayfield was square in that conversation. And I said, what do you think of that? My father texts me back, hard to separate fake news from truth when it comes to the draft. <laughs> I'm certainly no expert, but it would really surprise me if the Browns take Mayfield at one. And what I responded to my dad was, and I was actually pissed off. Like, I said this Questioning to your chops. My, he doesn't even, no, he didn't even realize he was questioning my chops. He had no idea that he was questioning my chops. But when he writes, hard to separate fake news from truth, that's questioning his own son's chops. So I texted back, nothing fake in what I sent you. I'm surprised you'd even say that. They've made a decision, the Browns have. And I'm telling you, Mayfield is under consideration. That is a fact. I don't know whether they've settled on Darnold or Mayfield yet, but it's real conversation. And he texts back, okay, very interesting. Now, when your own father is saying that that's fake news, you know that that's an issue, right? Yeah, that's an issue. Did he ever did he apologize after the fact? No. Did he come back to you after the draft and say, you were right, son, should have never doubted you? How does he respond to that? That's not my dad, you know? Uh, that's yeah, not my that's dad. That's not dad's but, in general, but, but, though, but, but, right? Hey, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's a great man. He's just kind of detached. So, no, there was no other... No, no follow-up no. on the Baker conversation. Next thing you know, it's what are you guys doing not, for... Not like, uh, not like you know, a text that, that, that Thursday night, like, hey... You know, way to go! You were on yeah, it. Yeah, you were ahead of that. You started or, that conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, not not you know, no fake news report. You know, nothing. I guess that's father. That's that's fathers that, for you. That, you that, know, sometimes that's father. So, okay, so we are entering the holiday season. Two weeks away from the end of the regular season. Yep. Give me your Super Bowl pick today. My Super Bowl pick, as of right now, uh, from the AFC, would be the Kansas City Chiefs still, because uh, I believe they're going to have home field advantage, and I think the Patriots. And they've Williams- lost their last six home playoff games. But I feel like this could be a year where a lot of things that go. <laughs> I felt that every this, year they've this, had home field uh, advantage. But but the quarterback is the side. I of agree year. with you. And I think when push comes to shove, the New Orleans Saints not only represent the NFC, yeah. but they will win the Super Bowl this year. How do you pick against the Saints if they're in New Orleans? Good luck to anybody going into the Superdome. To, who has the best chance to beat them there? I think the Bears do because their defense is that good. Um, but the Bears, like you're going to have to potentially in order to get to New Orleans, that means the Bears might have to beat a potentially very game. Minnesota Vikings team in the first round, then the Los Angeles Rams in Los Angeles potentially. There are a lot of hurdles for any team. By the way, if the the Bears could do that, if that is the road to the Super Bowl to beat 
Minnesota, and then the, they'd be going into New Orleans with a whole lot of momentum at that point. They sure would be. And if they made it all the way to the Super Bowl, you know that, that Michael Jordan statue outside the United Center in Chicago? They might have to just replicate that with Khalil Mack outside of Soldier Field, right? And, and, and I think side by side, they'd have to put a John Gruden statue next to I was going to say, could they just say, you know something? <laughs> they should just modify the trade and say, I know we gave you the 2019 and the 2020 first rounders, but take the 2021 first rounder as well. They got a lot of statues in Chicago, and I'll leave you with this story. There was a movie made about Michael Jordan. It was a documentary. He was playing baseball, and he decided to come back from baseball to go back to basketball. And Steve Kerr and Judd Bushler, who were on that Bulls team at the time, were driving to the stadium that night as they recounted in this documentary. And Judd Bushler is now a New York Knicks assistant coach, and I had the chance to share this with him. This is one of my favorite stories. And I don't know whether Kerr said it to Bushler or Bushler said it to Kerr, but they're driving to the game, and one of them said to the other, hey, Michael's coming back tonight. I know he's been in baseball for the last year, year and a half. Do you think he'll start? Do you think they'll start him at guard? You think, right? One would think. And the other player said, as a general rule, when there's a statue of you outside the stadium, you start. <laughs> I think that's probably a fair decision. <laughs> so as a general rule, if the Bears win the Super Bowl and they put a statue of Khalil Mack outside, you know, with John Gruden negotiating the phones to get that deal done, uh, Khalil Mack gets a permanent spot in the Chicago Bears starting lineup and – in Chicago sports history. He sacked Aaron Rodgers by boxing him out yesterday. <laughs> he went into a backwards, backwards. backwards sack. That's unbelievable. I mean, he has been ter- terrific for the Bears. Uh, obvious, stating the obvious there. But we're going to look back at this Bears offseason as, you know, one of the, you know, most productive that we've seen in the NFL in quite some time. Now things can change rapidly because I would have said the same thing about the Jaguars two offseasons ago and they're my most disappointing team and it's not close this yeah. year, Shefty, but. The Bears talk about striking every chord. Uh, Ryan Pace deserves a lot of credit for that. And, uh, there's a, sometimes these cliches, I think, I think there are some, some cliches in football that we need to abandon. But when you, you hear of a team taking on the personality of its head coach, it can be galvanizing. And it seems pretty clear to me that the Bears have the personality of their head coach, Matt Nagy, who is supremely confident as a play caller, but is not, Seemingly just an offensive guy now. He seems to be the CEO of that team as well. So uh, the Bears have a difficult road only because of the fact that they might have to do two road games to Los Angeles and New Orleans to make the Super Bowl. But with the way they're playing defense right now, shouldn't be counted out. Now everybody's going to be looking to hire the next Matt Nagy. But you know something? I, so I, I, I don't want to, if we're out of time, I don't want to, you know. We're never uh, out of time push, on a podcast. Push. We go forever. I think there's a bit of a misnomer in, in people assuming that like because it's two straight years now, we're perhaps the best Head coach yeah, and hire. McVay, Sean McVay last year, yep. Matt Nagy this year. And so what they are doing is remarkable, right? But the strength of this Bears team is unquestionably their defense, right? And not to say that Matt Nagy is not doing a good job with the offense, but the defense is what is allowing them to be so dominant this year. But I don't think that what makes Sean uh, McVay and Matt Nagy so brilliant is merely their offensive chops. Listen to them during the press conferences. They get it. You know, Sean McVay is the king of, I mean, it's, it's, it's a Belichick playbook, right? After the game when they lose, first thing he comes up there, I got to do a better job right. coaching my players. And after they win, even if he made the gutsiest call to players go forward on fourth down, players. Todd Gurley is amazing. Jared yeah. Goff busted Love his tail. Keep to leave is amazing. They have a great sense about them. And you've got to be able to have 53 players, 17 or 18 coaches, 10 or 11 practice squad guys, a full medical staff, a full personnel staff buy into what you are selling as the head coach because whether you are the final authority on matters or 53-man roster matters or not, 
You are the face of the franchise in a lot of ways. Even if you are the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, where Aaron Rodgers is there, you are the front-facing person in a lot of ways. You're the only person that goes in front of a microphone five days a week to represent the team. And those two head coaches have a certain personality, a certain dynamic about them that is... They're great guys. They seem just like... And they, they great just guys. get it. They get and so it's not... And yes, there are good young offensive uh, coaches out there that I think will be very good head coaches. Yeah. But there are also veteran defensive coaches. I think will make great head coaches. Yeah, there's right now. a lot of guys. There are, and there are coaches that but those are. Those guys are unique, though, too. They are unique. So They're I don't unique. think it's as easy as in the same way that we wanted to make. Hey, who's going to be this year's Alvin Kamara in fantasy? Is in the third round running back that no one saw coming. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen every year. No. So Sean McVay and and, and Matt Nagy provide a, a template of what you'd like, but they aren't as easy to find as people want it to be every year. Did I mention to you that my fancy teams were sacked backwards yesterday? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I heard. They were sacked backwards. It's okay. We'll live and learn. Field, happy holidays to you and your family. Thank, Thank you, you for the time today. Happy early birthday to you. Appreciate and, uh, that, my I, ho- I can't wait for your next big moment birthday because your birthday a couple <laughs> of years ago for your 50th birthday, thanks to your lovely wife, was one yeah. of the great parties I've ever been to. That was a good party, wasn't it? It was tremendous. You you built it up with the grandest of expectations. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm driving down there with my now fiance, and I'm, I'm saying, hey, listen, like Chapin, like he's talking this up like it's going to be pretty remarkable. And she's like, okay, great. Well, you know, well, we're going. And then we got there, and we were like, my goodness. Like, every detail, no stone left unturned. That's my wife, yeah. that that's She does do that. Yep. That's She's good at throwing a party, and she's always done that. She always will do that. And that weekend when we got back, I remember seeing Trent Dilfer, and one of the Hasselbecks asked him, hey, what was the party like? And Trent Dilfer, Trent Dilfer said, the best party I've ever been to my life. And that guy won a Super Bowl. Well, like, hold on. So, so, so Matt Hasbrook said, better than your ring ceremony party for your Baltimore Ravens? And Trent Dilfer said, yes. Fuck that. I, I might, like, I ate like five pounds from the Atlantic Ocean. Like, there was so much <laughs> seafood there. It was unbelievable. It was great. It was a fun night. I appreciate you being there for that. I appreciate you being here for this today. And I appreciate you trying to get me out of a funk that I will not come out of until 2019, if and when I do play fantasy football ever again. We'll be back in a moment with my friend, the author, Merrill Hodge. But first, I want to tell you about Peter Millar. I used to be the type of guy who would just go to my closet and grab whatever was hanging there. Then I got my first Peter Millar polo, game changer. Now my closet has all sorts of Peter Millar items. The more Peter Millar clothing I get, the more impressed I am. Everything's comfortable. From the feel to the look, Peter Millar clothing is just better. The stitching, buttons, zippers, tension to detail puts them in a league of their own. I have Peter Millar polos, sports shirts, quarter zips, All look great and make me look sharp. I can go from work to dinner feeling great and looking even better when I'm wearing my Peter Millar. Head over to PeterMillar.com slash AS today and experience this quality for yourself. You'll see some of my favorite styles from Peter Millar. Be sure to use my link and you'll receive complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash AS. PeterMillar.com slash AS. Well, isn't this a thrill? What's going on, baby? <laughs> How you doing there, Haji? I'm good, legend. I'm good, baby. No complaints. We're going to get to your book, Brainwash, The Bad Science Behind CT and the Plot to Destroy Football. But first, I want to ask you, you were in Pittsburgh on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. You saw the Steelers beat the Patriots. What were your takeaways of that game, Haji? You know, Shefty, I've got to be honest with you. Um, it's the first time... Um, you could ever tell there wasn't the it was, the Patriots just weren't the same. Now, that's not taking anything away from well, what what the Steelers did because defensively they uh, aside from uh, that bust they had in the first drive, 
um, which I, I don't know what what what, what the actual um, confusion was, but obviously that's a, uh, a massive mental error. Aside from that, I'm telling you, they uh, they were. It's almost like they gave the Patriots a little bit of their own medicine. They were not going to let Gronkowski beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they doubled guys, the way they um, almost knew exactly what they were going to do and when they were going to do it. It was it was interesting to observe it from you know uh, the stadium fan perspective because you could see everything. Um, and they just didn't look the same. I mean, you know, there was you know I know when it became a seven point lead and Brady got it with a little over two minutes. I trust me, everybody, every Steeler. In the country is like, ah, oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're going to come back, you know. And um, so, and then when they started making plays and they got down in the scoring territory, they, they just didn't, it was, it was uncharacteristic of the Patriots. Even some of their, you know, even that fourth down throw, mm-hmm. it was, because I've been watching Tom Brady since he started. You know, I've studied that team and watched them. So I don't want to take anything away from because I just, they've been so great. They've done things, I guarantee, that nobody, could have ever imagined with you know, being in 11 AFC championship games, five Super Bowls, but they just didn't look the same. You know, there was, they're, they're missing a little something, um, you know, but I don't think, I mean, because, you know, they've lost two in a row in the way they've lost them, you know, obviously the sky's falling, but that's still a dangerous team. You know, they, you see them on your schedule and there's a lot of respect when you have to, you have to deal with that team rather than the regular season or in the playoffs. But it'll be tough because now, if they don't make any more advances, they're going to have to play the opening weekend of the playoffs. They're not going to have that first round by Houston has moved into that second spot. And if New England has to play one more game, to your point with them not being the same, the one thing that they look like to me is they don't look as fast, as explosive, as young. They look like they're missing some key young offensive playmakers to me. Maybe defensive yeah, you know, players too. Yeah, you know, Shetty, I think if that was one thing that popped into my head, I mean, they, they don't look like they've they were they were a little old, you know. They were a little seasoned, you know. Even Gronk didn't look the same, you know, in 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 how he moved and stuff. And you know, I, the one pick that the Brady had, you know, I actually think he was trying to get rid of it. I just don't think he had enough on it. I, I don't think he was trying to throw it over there. I think he was just trying to get rid of the ball. Um, but neither here nor there. I mean, listen, um, you know, it was a close game. It came down to the last play of the game, so it wasn't like they got blown up, their doors blown off. And I, I think that when they lose, people act like that. And going into that game, I, I always used this line, Shefty, when a team would struggle or a player would struggle, you never want to underestimate a professional. Yep. Don't ever underestimate them because they're going to hear it all week. And listen, they got, they got, they're prideful. They want to make things right. They want to change things. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't underestimate the Patriots. Ever. I, I think we all agree with that. Now, you know the Steelers very well. How far do you think they are capable of going this postseason? Should they make the postseason? Well, they could run the table. You know, they, they have that ability. They, you know, the, the first four weeks of the year, okay, they had defensive flaws that were, I mean, they were shipped up to us, sit there and study them. And they were terrible. The, when they try to blitz, and here's what I mean by here's where they were terrible. You know, anybody can say they're terrible. Here's where they were really bad and they really struggled. When they would try to, part of blitzing, a, a good blitzing defense is, yes, design is one, but also, you know, how you go about disguising it, the timing of it, and all of those things are vital. Well, when you were watching Blitz the first month of the year, you got guys coming into the box um, a half account late, so they're five, six, seven yards away from the line of scrimmage when they should be timing it right at the line of scrimmage. 
they're disguising things. They were showing things right about they're running into each other. The timing was terrible. Well, then they got on a roll there defensively. Shut through. I'm telling you this. They were disguising things. Where even on tape, you're like, man, they just showed that in the last second. No wonder they got them. I think there was five games in a row. There was two or three free blitzers in every game. If you can just get one in the NFL, that's a pretty good, you know, it's a pretty good design, and it's well executed. And that's what they were doing so well. And then that kind of fell apart. And I actually thought they would pressure uh, the Patriots more, which they did not. Which kind of which really showed me something about them. They were willing to say, "Listen, our down four will come." You know, that's predominantly how they did it. They didn't do a bunch of pressures. They brought them a, f- a few times, but not like they have been doing Shefty. And then, aside from that, really that big blunder in the first drive, there was no mental errors. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times they had people dialed up. Gronk was not going to beat them, and they didn't make mistakes there. If you remember in the past, they'd always make mistakes there. So that's a good sign defensively that they didn't even have really a great blitzing package, or they decided to play to skies things in a coverage perspective, and it was great. I mean, it was not like we'd seen in their three losses. So, you know, those things come to the party for them. Offensively, they're, they're going to be powerful enough. They just need that complement on defense. So if they can do that, they're as scary as any team in football. You have a close relationship with the Steelers quarterback, Ben. How much longer do you think he's going to wind up playing, Haji? I'll tell you this. I, I think that um, guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees have inspired him. You know, I've seen um, Ben in the last couple of years really become passionate about investing in his health and, 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 and doing things I don't think he even thought he would be doing at this point in his career, but how he takes care of himself, how he eats, how he trains, how he, you know, that's why I think I, I just love and respect what Tom Brady and Drew Brees do. Not what they do on the football field, quite honestly, but the lifestyle they've created to go to show that everybody, okay, you don't have to play football to invest in your health and the value of that and how much uh, a little more productive, healthy uh, way of living it gives you. And he's really gotten into that. That has really been some of his passion. Um, he's in as good a shape as I've ever seen. Um, and when I hear his hunger, you know, I've talked to him a few times. And a couple of years ago, I think there was probably more doubt in that voice where there's a strong conviction and a passion to keep playing and I've heard him talk about three to five more years. Um, and if he keeps taking care of himself like he is, playing like he is, he can clearly do that. Hmm. I want to take you back to basically the year 2003. You were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Haji. Yeah. What did you learn from that experience going through chemotherapy and beating the disease? Well, I'll tell you, Chef, I, I tell people all the time, the words find a way. I, you know, my first book I wrote, was that was the title of it, Find a Way. Those words have helped me live a dream and fight to live. But they were supposed to help me just live a dream, and that was to play in the NFL. But they've transitioned in my life as a parent, um, first and foremost. But they have been those words that have helped me beat that and fight that, uh, that, that diagnosis. And... I tell people all this fact I was just flying into Boston and I was talking to some fans and one guy had just been diagnosed with um, with cancer and he was just talking about the mental struggle it is every day. And I said, listen, most people say, ah, I just, you know, forget about that, you know, move on. I go, they've never went through chemotherapy because chemotherapy and dying, those things consumed me for a couple of weeks until it was my daughter who challenged me to find a way which did this to me. And I always talk to people about this. It changed my thought process, my focus, and my passion. So I tell, I told him, I'm like, every day you get up, you got to do one of two things, okay? Do you control your mind, 
or does your mind control you? And there is where you have to start every day. Don't let your mind control you. You control it. The thoughts that you put into your head, the things that you do, the proactive way you approach this thing is going to be vital. And in my very first treatment, I remember my nurse, she's getting ready to put what they nickname Red Death, which is one of the most toxic chemotherapies you can have in your body. She said, now listen, I want you to know something. 80% of this is up to you. 20% is what I'm doing right now. And it just really helped me empower myself, the control that we have in it, that I wasn't going to let that dictate to me anymore. And in a, this, in a way, Shefty, cancer actually saved my life. Because right after I got done with my about a year and a half of treatment, on my fifth year, my last PET CAT scan, they identified I had a enlarged aorta, mm. which they, I wouldn't be doing PET CAT scans for any other reason, yep. you know. And they found a defect that probably came from the way I was training, just training too hard, doing some things. They find it a lot in in power lifters and and athletes, but. I had open heart surgery about three years ago that I'm telling you, I probably would never discovered that, yep. you know, and there, there'd be a good chance that I'm not on this phone and it wouldn't be because of cancer. It would have been because of that, that, that heart issue that I had and they were able to go in there and repair and fix it. So, um, it ends up saving my life wow. in a weird way, but those words and the power that we all have shift, because one thing I learned in this great game of football, I learned it from Walter Payton. It was one of the greatest things I think I ever learned as a young kid. I watched an interview process of Walter Payton, and he was talking. He was asked what makes him better than anybody else. Now, I'm 15 years old when I'm watching this interview. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's what I want to know. What makes him great? Because I want to start doing that. You know, is it a protein drink or is it a genetic thing? What is it? What's the secret? And he said something as profound as I've ever heard a human being say it. He paused and he told the lady, he said, I want it more than they do. Every day of the week. And then he went through, he said, Monday, Tuesday, we're on the off-season. Monday through Saturday at 6 o'clock in the morning when I go run that dirt hill and nobody wants to go with me, I want it more than they do. He said, Monday through Saturday when there's not 65,000 fans in the stands, cameras aren't rolling, I want it more than they do. And then at 1 o'clock on Sunday, you better believe I want it more than they do. Well, here's what moved me. And every, everybody could, could resonate with this and take this. That's a mindset. That is a choice, and that is a habit. You can apply to anything in life. That doesn't, it doesn't mean football, business, family, challenges, dreams, goals. And I'm telling you this as a kid, I'm like, I'm going to do that. Every day I practice, every day I train, every day I play, I'm going to want it more than anybody else. And it has been one of the greatest mind um, exercises and habits that I've ever developed, and I'm grateful that I – uh, I came across the paths of Walter Payton and the things that uh, he's in, he's inspired with so many with um, his approach on life. And that's how you set 44 school and conference records at Idaho State University. But I wanted to ask you, how do you get to control your mind rather than have your mind control you? What's the secret there? Well, I'll tell you this. You know, I was talking to that guy, and he was like, I get up, and I, I start thinking about, you know, um, they, they say that they're going to monitor him for a couple of months. He has a test in two weeks. I go, so when you get up, you think about, the, the month that they're monitoring and the test coming up. He's like, yeah. I said, well, then when you get up now, you think about, and I used to do this exact same thing. I used to envision my body destroying the cancer, that my body was stronger and healthier, and I would think in those processes. I then would conduct my day just like I would do every day before I was diagnosed. I'd get up and train just before I got my kids up and got them ready for the day. 
So that's what I would focus on, training, taking care of myself, taking care of my kids, stay on the same routine, and keep those thought processes in place. And I go, listen, there's going to be days you don't win. Okay, nobody wins them all. But the more you can learn that I'm going to feed my mind with all the things I want to control, I'm going to whip this cancer. Okay, I'm going to beat it. When I go to that treatment in a month, it's going to be better than it was was now. Okay, I'm not going to worry about things I can't control. Now, I know that's not easy. It's not that you just don't flip that switch, but if you can practice the things, focus on what, what is your routine for the day, make that a part of your daily activities. Don't let the thought process go to things you don't control. Um, you know, always got to observe me for a month. I've got a treatment in one week. I used my mind with all the other things. And listen, no, that's not a secret. Everybody can do that. Everybody has the ability to do that. It's about practicing that and making that a habit in your life. And then you win more days than you ever lose once you become good at it. Did you give that advice to Stuart Scott? Because I happened to be with you the day that he passed away. And I know how much his loss affected you and everybody here at ESPN. But it seemed to resonate with you as much, if not more, than most people in our company. What advice did you have for Stuart as he was going through his process? You know, it's the irony. Stuart and I... He was our host for the NFL Matchup Show uh, for a couple of years. That's when Stuart and I really, you know, we, we became close because we connected on one thing: being parents. Like we love being dad. We just, mm-hmm. you know, we'd always talk about our kids. And ironically, he, you know, he got first diagnosed in Pittsburgh. It wow. was when this happened. And my first thought, my first thought process to Stuart. In fact, he called me. And he told me what was going on. He said, like, call me and said, hi, do you think I believe this? He tells me what's going on. And I'm like, well, listen here. You're a strong man, Stuart. Okay? You're one of the most positive guys I have ever met in my life. You need to, and keep in mind, Stuart wasn't even doing all that boxing and training stuff yeah. at this time. He starts doing that. So that's when he started. He turned the tables on the cancer. He turned the tables on the fight. He was like, nah, he ain't going to dictate to me. You know, I shared with him the things that I had bunt, but I can't do it for him, Shefty. And that's the thing that that people have to realize is that he took it on himself, and then he started to apply it. So there's a guy right there who was, listen, Stuart was positive. I miss him every day. I love that guy. But you can't make somebody do it. You can tell them how it helps. Like Walter Payton, he didn't tell me to do it. I made it, I applied it, and that's why I try to tell people all the time, this is not a special gift people have, okay? We all can do it, hmm. and we all may need it, not just in adverse situations, but with our dreams and goals, we can apply that same attitude. But Stuart's story stands for itself. You know, he did it. He changed it. He did it his way, which would go to my find a way stuff. Find a way is about different ways. It's not one way in life. Right. We all have different ways to do that. But we all need each other. We can all support one another. Relationships are vital. But to watch what he did and how he handled it, I'm telling you, I got these books in my office. I look at it, him and John Saunders, I'm a sir, every day. And how they handled life, how they handled those tragedies, and how they handled those experiences in their life, still, to me, I mean, move me. They move me daily, both of those men. You bring up the NFL matchup shows. When you look back at your time here at ESPN, NFL Live, the matchup show, what stands out to you? I loved every day. Shefty, I'm telling you, um, I, I, I tell, in my book that I just wrote, I, may, I make reference to, I think ESPN may have saved my life in the aspect of, you know, when my career ended, I was going through depression. I had all kinds of transitional issues I was going through because, 
the concussions that I had had, you know, they didn't have the treatments and therapies we have today. You know, we didn't have the exciting stuff that parents need to know about and players need to know about that exist today that are applicable. They basically just told me, listen, you got two months, two years, and we'll see how you are in two years. And what where ESPN really became relevant in my life, along with the Steelers asking me to come in and do be the first player in their broadcasting booth, was now I had to, I, first of all, I had a purpose now. And I had to cognitively work on things I had never done before. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's like to do TV. I mean, you can you can do all kinds of stuff, but you can you condense it in thirty-five to forty-five seconds and make sense. Right. <laughs> that's, that's it's, a, it's a it's a different skill than people are used to. It is, and I'm telling you, that probably helped me more than anything. It's, I, and another thing, Greg Cosell uh, and Jaws, and even Mark Malone, who were the host at the time on the Matchup Show, they were terrific at helping me. And thank goodness we taped that show. Because if it had been live, ESPN would have got rid of me in about a week. That's a trade Because, but um, and I shared that you know that story in my first book, just what how they helped me. But those challenges yeah. that, that 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 forced me to cognitively do something I wasn't used to doing. It really helped me, and then I had a purpose, and that 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 really brought me out of my depressed state. And you know what happened? You found a way, Haji. Amen, brother. You found a way. That's what happened. You found a way to be a great broadcaster. Well, I appreciate that, brother. I like, I mean, so many people, um, I, I have to give credit to because this, I, I tell people all the time when I, when I do a lot of speaking throughout the country that, you know, football is the greatest team sport I've ever played, but life's the greatest team game. And we need each other. Um, listen, I've watched, I've read your book and listened to you and, and not knowing all of the real intimate details, but the kind of man you are for, and dad you are. I love that. You know, that's what I love so much about Stuart Scott, John Saunders. And it wasn't the broadcasters they are. It was the people they are. <laughs> and, you know, there's so many people at ESPN, you know, I watch all I mean, this is Meyer. I mean, men and women that are just fabulous. And I think of Sage Steele right off the bat. Okay, that, she pops into my head. Because I think she's just a fabulous mother. You know, and that's what I love about her. I mean, she's a great human being, but I just, I just love her as a mom. She's a great mom. Mm. There's a lot of great people here. You know, people like to pound on ESPN and use it as a punching bag, but there are a lot of great people here who are really great at what they do. There's no doubt, brother. No doubt. So you have a new book out called Brainwashed, The Bad Science Behind CTE and the Plot to Destroy Football. And so at a time and a day and age where it seems like there's more and more discussion about CTE and how bad football is for you, how much pushback have you gotten, and what has this experience been like for you? If people have not read the book, you get serious pushback. If they've never read the scientific literature, you get called a denier. And the first thing I tried to establish right off the back, and many people in the media, too, um, Shepty, have come yeah. to me, oh, yeah. and they've wanted to do uh, an article on the book, or they want to talk about the book, but they never read it. And I was like, well, isn't that just irresponsible journalism? If you want to do an evaluation of the book, shouldn't you at least read it? If you want to challenge me and say I'm wrong, wouldn't you do your due diligence and make sure I'm wrong? Wouldn't you read the literature? Wouldn't you at least read the book? So let's back up a little bit. This whole journey started on my quest to really figure out what is CT. I'm smart enough to know. I've had enough experiences as a player, a coach, a parent, that I see the headlines and I'm like, okay, yeah. It doesn't make sense. But best way to do it, go to the sources. I went across this country, even into Canada. 
I sat with every neuropathologist that would sit with me, Shefty, and would sit and discuss things with me as far as what is CT? What does the science really say about CT? I even cut brains. I've been in Boston University cutting brains so I could understand the true facts, okay? And I was an eerie situation. However, that being said, every one of them would say this. When I'd say, well, what at the headline, you know, you know, um, landmark study links football to concussions or football, concussions cause um, CT, they're like, let me tell you this. CTE is a pattern in an observation state. We have no idea what causes it, and we have no idea what it causes. There's only 300 cases uh, in the medical journal of CT. There's a lot of cases where they never played football. They never had a history of head trauma. They never played sports. Mm. And I was like, now hold a minute. There's cases where they never even played sports, never played football, never had a history of head trauma. They found it in a one-year-old, a four-month-old. As the science keeps evolving, I'm like, now wait a minute. How can we only hear football? First of all, if you hear that right there, you can't keep pointing at football. You can't keep pointing at contact sports because the science is screaming the other way. And that's why they'd always say, we're in an observation state. The science community, quite honestly, is disturbed beyond belief that the narrative has gotten to this point. The problem is the, the majority of the scientific community, they can't get a platform to speak on, Shefty. Mm-hmm. As soon as somebody does tell you something scientific, they start going, oh, he's a denier. She's a denier. The people that are deniers are the people who haven't done their due diligence and haven't read the scientific literature. Mm-hmm. Because if you did, you would never find the word cause, and you will never find the word link. You will find a litany of language like more research, we don't know, unclear, poorly defined, misleading, caution. You can't use this study to give any public sense of degree of disease. Yet, you have the people who wrote it, like Ann McKee, that go out in the media and say, Got to believe after the study that says, caution, you can't use this study. She says, after you writing that paper, I got to believe every football player has that. Yeah. Now, what is disturbing about that, Shifty, I was actually in Salt Lake. A guy brings up a great point, doing an interview. You know, and I'm calling, you know, I was told the media accountable too. They got to do their due diligence. You need to go do your research. He's like, well, shouldn't we believe doctors? And I'm like, you know what? You actually are par- partially right. And that is where. Anne McKee has done harmful things. She has abused the Hippocratic Oath that she has signed to write that type of scientific literature where it says, caution, you can't use this in the 99% paper, the 90% paper. Then to go to the media and contradict what she wrote, that is absolutely criminal. And that is the kind of abuse that has gotten our narrative to where it is. So on that way, I was like, you know what? Technically, you're right, half right. However, why didn't you confirm that? Why didn't you go read the scientific literature? So I understand what he was saying, that you should be able to trust him. You should be able to believe him. And when you go find out and read the science papers, you listen, you read the stuff she wrote yep. versus what she says in the media, it, it, you, it mortified me. It was mind-boggling to me that they actually could do that and nobody's holding them accountable. But there is a narrative out there, right? There's been a narrative oh, sure. that's been introduced, and it's become accepted as fact – Right. That football causes CTA. I'm just telling right. you, that is a, it's almost a fact, and it almost dates back, it seems to me, like Mike Webster, your former teammate with the Steelers, 
People think he had CTE. He got it from playing football. And if you play football, you're going to get CTE. Well, let me tell you this. Mike Wilson was my roommate. And listen, after the things I have found out today that I know all the facts and truth, I wish I'd have known, say, 15 years ago, because you know what? Chef got a better, better teammate. Hmm. I could have helped Mike Webster. First of all, in the movie, they act like, and here's, here's where the concussion movie is just garbage upon garbage. Um, when you think about it, and I did a lot of work with this. I even talked to a lot of people in Hollywood. And I call them out on Hollywood and go, listen, how come you don't even disclose why he died? Yep. Well, that's our Hollywood. That is our artistic choice. I was like, yeah, that's your artistic choice? As long as they get a few names right. The rest doesn't matter. Yeah. And I was like, because most people think he died of CT. Nobody has ever died on this planet from CT. CT has not caused anybody to commit suicide. Zero scientific evidence that you can do a whole show on that subject. Yeah. Mike Webster died of heart failure. Mike Webster had a stent in his heart. Mike Webster was addicted to Ritalin and a whole host of other issues that compounded to his death. And People go, well, the CT caused all that. No, it did not. There was zero scientific evidence of that whatsoever. And even in that movie, I'm watching the movie, and I remember they had his brain jiggling around like this thing in a jar, and the brain's jiggling around. There can't be anything more grotesquely wrong than that. Our brains don't float around in our skull. When I went in to cut brains with Dr. Cummings, I learned what our brain is really made of, or how it's really, the, the physical presence of it is like, a little firmer, hardened bread dough. So it's not jello, and it's not full around your, in, in, in liquid. It actually is wrapped in dura, and a dura that is pretty th- real thick skin that secures our brain. Then we have plasticity. Then we have a skull structure. It is very well protected. Doesn't mean that you can't have a concussion. Doesn't mean we just ignore and keep hitting our heads, because that's why I went to Congress in 2009 to establish protocols and make it better and safer for kids 8 to 18. Not just the NFL and college. I'm adamant about making it safer. But we have done that. We continue to do that from protocols, treatments, therapies, equipment, how we play, how we handle the injury. And to get this narrative to where it was with no scientific evidence. And I'm going to say this. I may say it 100 times, but it's really important because people go, oh, you're a denier. Go get the scientific literature then. Show me any scientific literature where it says cause, or there's a link. I'm more than happy to read it. That's why I created a, a website, brainwashedbook.com. The scientific literature is there. The papers are there. I want people to read them. I want people to be empowered. I'm not about changing your mind, but I am about opening your mind to all the facts. We'll be better off if you understand all of it globally and how to handle especially if you're a parent, if your son or your daughter were to have a concussion like my son did when he slipped in the shower not even in an athletic arena, what you can do about it, how you can help them, and get them back to a healthy state before they return to that. Wouldn't you want to know all that, which is those are facts. Those are things that we have, we do have at our disposal now and that are available, but we don't hear about it because we're robbing our kids of activities and we actually believe the narrative that has been driven in the media. How many concussions did you suffer during your career, Haji, playing football? Three, and here's why players get a really, I mean, I don't know why players keep doing this, but it's part of what, you know, the media has done. is like, I had 2,000 concussions. I had three documented concussions. What happened to me, though, Shefty, was why I took that doctor to court and why I helped change the protocols in the NFL in 1994. Here's what happened to me on a Monday night. I have a concussion. I don't, I don't get knocked out. 
So people don't think you got to get knocked out to have a concussion, okay? And because you get knocked out or you lose consciousness a little bit does not mean it's more severe than what I'm about to present to you, okay? I had amnesia. I mean, I really didn't know. I couldn't, I couldn't remember questions I was asked for some eight hours. So when you have that type of amnesia that goes on for that period of time, that tells you it's pretty severe. Also stability, the ability to walk, okay? I, I felt like I was in an earthquake, even though I returned back to the huddle and played the next play. But here's where the problem happened. And keep in mind, in 1994, okay, people are sitting there angry in the 60s, 70s, and even early uh, 80, I mean, all the 80s and early 90s, that we didn't have these protocols. Well, I'm sorry they didn't. Right. But that's like being angry that you didn't have an MRI or, you know, ACL reconstruction back in the 60s, right. 70s. This is the facts. I can't help that. Well, we didn't know that so smoking cigarettes was bad for you back in the day. A litany of things. You can sit there and point the fingers, but you're wasting your time, okay? And it's, we're not doing anything. That's excuses. Let's find solutions. So what happened to me is I got cleared five days later to return back to activity over the phone. Now, even in 1994, I come from the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have doing, we've, I, I was the first group of players to ever do baseline testing. They had neuro, a neurologist on staff, Dr. Joe Maroon, since 1986. I get to Chicago. They didn't have any baseline testing. There was no neurologist on staff to evaluate that particular injury. Well, that is where the disconnect came from. I was like, well, how can one team be A and the other team be B? Now, to the Bears' credit, the next year, them and the Philadelphia Eagles become the first two teams in NFL history to mandate cognitive testing and create baselines. So that immediately starts to change, and that's the good thing. Okay, it cost me my career, nearly cost me my life, but guess what? Things got better after that. The people behind me now won't experience that. Isn't that what we want for our kids? Give me the one takeaway that you want people to have from your new book, Brainwash, the Bad Science Behind CT and the Plot to Destroy Football. What do people need to know, Haji? Well, the first thing I want to know is there's no scientific evidence. If your son or daughter have a concussion, they're going to get CT. No scientific evidence of that. There's no scientific evidence that sub-concussion, jumping around on trampolines, pillow fights, football, hockey, especially if it's played in the environment that exists today, you're going to ever get CT. There's no scientific evidence of that. There's no case where they can say, see, this is what happened. None whatsoever. And if you read the scientific literature and you understand in the treatments, therapies, if they do have a concussion, rather slipping in a shower or falling off a trampoline or in a sporting event, the treatments and therapies that are incredible to help our kids get back to normal before they return to play, that's what you need to know as a parent. If you understood that, you'd be more empowered and less in fear. Haji, I want to thank you very much for taking time to join us during this special time, this holiday season. You found a way. I appreciate that. And happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you, my good brother. Always good talking to you, Sheppy. And so there's Merrill Hodge, one of the most thoughtful, passionate, articulate, inspirational people that I know and have had the fortune and honor to work with. The author of the new book, Brainwashed, The Bad Science Behind CTE and the Plot to Destroy Football. Special thanks to Merrill Hodge. Special thanks to Field Yates, my fantasy therapist, my friend, who helped talk me off the ledge over my fantasy heartbreak. And thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. We're going to take off next week for the holidays, for the new year, and we hope that everybody will join us back here again in 2019. Until then, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll see you in 2019.